thank you. Thank you, uh, uh, the song technician, for that. Once again, giving me uh, uh, that beautiful uh, intro video for this message here tonight. And, and for those that are watching us online, thank you so much for joining us. I would like to encourage all those that are here and those that are watching online to take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And tonight we're going to read a familiar passage of scripture, verse 1 through 15. And um, I trust that it will be a blessing to your heart. For those of you that are finding your Bible, whether it's in the pew or at home, on your phone, I will be reading from the English Standard Version. And for those of you who are following, please feel free to use whatever version you uh, are, are, uh, would like to read. So... Uh, let us just ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we thank you for your word and God again, Lord, once again, that we have this opportunity to hear from you again, Lord. We also have already heard from you, Lord, excuse me, through the songs and the way we, uh, the worship team led us this, this evening, God, and even for some of the things, Lord, that we have heard here this evening, God. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to speak to us as we come at this part of the program, at this part of the service, as this part of, oh Lord, in our act of worshiping you, Father, we pray that you will speak to us through your word again, that through the power of your spirit, God, that you will make known yourself to us, Father, and make known to us in such a way, God, that you will work in, through, in and through our lives, and, and God bringing us and drawing us closer to you in our walk and in our relationship with you, Father. Help us tonight, Lord, to, to give, oh God, such an undivided attention to the work of your Holy Spirit, oh God, in the, which that he will, in the way in which that he will use your word tonight to minister to your people, oh God. And I pray, Lord, that self will not be seen, but that your name will be glorified. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O oh Lord our rock, and our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I will encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 16, like I said, and verse 1, it says here, and this is Jesus' uh, words to his disciples. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues, that is the religious people. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is doing offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their, when their hour comes, you will remember that I told you, told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I, because I was with you. But now, Jesus said, I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, that is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness 
Because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And then Jesus' final words, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, that is the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And, when he, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. May God bless his holy word. And we give thanks to God for his word this evening. Now this evening I would like to take uh, some time to just recap um, some of the things that we have covered uh, so far on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Um, that is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I said in one of my messages, in my previous message when we started um, touching on the subject of the Holy Spirit, that understanding the Holy Spirit is key to understanding one's relationship with Christ and also our Christian life as a whole. And over the past um, couple centuries, greater emphasis has been placed on the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. And you see that the Holy Spirit has been one of the most misunderstood person of the Godhead. He has been misunderstood, he has been misused and abused by believers in our modern context. And that is the reason why um, we here at uh, Living Hope would like to take the time to really talk and, 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 and about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And um, like I said, I'm just doing a recap um, for a few minutes from wh what we have covered. And for those of you who have been uh, following me for over these past um, few months, back in June, July, August, and also in September, if you have been making notes, one of the first things that we touch on is the, is the Holy Spirit at Pentecost as we look in the book of Acts chapter 2, where Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, and he, he not only promised, but he, he commanded them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit, that when the Holy Spirit come, that he will endue them, he endue them with power from on high, that the Holy Spirit will give them the power they need to go from Jerusalem to Samaria and to Judea and then to the uttermost part of the world. It was necessary for them to receive the Holy Spirit, because not only will the Holy Spirit come upon them, but also the Holy Spirit will be in them, Jesus says. And that is the fulfillment on the day of the, uh, of the, the day of Pentecost. And, and so we see in Acts chapter 2 that when the Holy Spirit came, uh, Peter stood up right in the midst of the people and reminded them, and declare to them of what God, what has happened, what took place on that day. And we're, I'm just going to read verse 32 and verse 33. And so to help the people to understand, hear what Peter said to them. This Jesus, that is the Jesus whom you crucified, whom they, whom they put on a cross, whom they rejected. Hear what Jesus said. This Jesus, not no other Jesus, but Jesus, the Son of the living God. Peter, Peter said, this Jesus, God raised him up. God raised him up. And for that we are all witnesses. And that's 
Peter made a very firm statement there, a very bold statement that we are all witnesses of this resurrected Christ about the work of the, and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Not only did we had the experience to witness his resurrection um, uh, the, uh, he, when he came after he was resurrected, but we also witnessed his, his ascension back into glory. And also we are now witnessing the work of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit that he promised. And verse 32, Peter declared, and he says, This Jesus God raised up. And for what? And for that we are all witnesses. And then he will say to them, being therefore exalted, that is Christ. Christ is exalted at the right hand of God. After his ascension, Peter says that the place where Christ is is at the right hand of God the Father. And look at what Christ is doing. And having, Peter says, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Peter said, he has poured out this so that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Now, what a, what, what a strong and powerful statement that Peter says, not only is Jesus now exalted, not only has he been ascended, but now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, being exalted. And when Christ is exalted, um, you know, Peter says that he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he did, that this is a promise fulfilled. And then when we take a snap back, a snapshot back and look at John chapter 16, we will see that Jesus did assure his disciple of his departure and of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and when you tie those two together, you can see that the promise of God has been fulfilled. And that is the reason why we spend some time talking about the Holy Spirit are coming on the day of Pentecost. So let me read John 16, verse 7. And these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, or it is, some translations say, it is expedient, I believe, that I go. It is necessary that I go, Jesus says. And look at the words here what Jesus said. If I do not go away, the Helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. This was when he was with his disciples. He, he did make it known to them that two things must happen here. One is that he must go back to the Father from whence he came. And when he returned, only then the Holy Spirit can come. Because there was no need for both him and the Holy Spirit to be at work at the same time. Because he already, the disciples already had Christ and there was no need for them to have the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, in my absence, in my absence, the Holy Spirit, I will send him to you. So you're not going to be alone. You're not going to left alone. I will send someone. That someone is the Holy Spirit, which Jesus says, the helper will come to be with you. And on the day of Pentecost, we see that fulfillment, that we are not alone, brothers and sisters, that, uh, that the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit is with the people of God, the children of God. Everyone who come to faith in Jesus Christ receive the Holy Spirit. And if you're here this evening and, and you have, you've come to that place in your life where you know who Jesus Christ is and you've surrendered your life uh, and you're born again, you can rest and assure that you would not have been at that place in your life unless the Holy Spirit was doing a work in your life. And it is the only the Holy Spirit that brings you to faith, nothing else. 
So we spend some time looking at the coming of the Holy Spirit, just to recap. And then we also look at an important part of the Holy Spirit, an important subject. Who is the Holy Spirit? Not only do we talk about the Holy Spirit coming and being with us and, and, and at work in our lives, but many believers we looked at um, in that message that many don't know who the Holy Spirit is. And, and there are people who are sitting in pews and in churches today who have no clue who the Holy Spirit is. And one thing we did there was to look at the personality of the Holy Spirit. Who really is the Holy Spirit? And we see that the Holy Spirit is not an influence, the Holy Spirit is not a force, but the Holy Spirit is a unique person. And there are five things that we look at in that message, that he is a unique person and that he is, he is part of the Godhead and that he is, possesses divine attributes and characteristics and, and, um, and he is the third person of the Trinity. And then the third thing we look at of the Holy Spirit in that um, subject is that he is the author of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. And then we also look uh, uh, and see that he is the agent of creation. This created world, the Holy Spirit was actively at work. And then he is the agent of the new creation, bringing believers to faith in Jesus Christ, where, where Paul says, all things are passed away and all things now become new in the hearts and lives of men and women. It is the work of the Holy Spirit and I trust and pray um, that you have taken some time to listen to these messages and really to get to know who the Holy Spirit is. And the beautiful thing is that you can go back and listen to them over and over online, make notes and rewatch them and watch them again like you'll do one of your favorite movies. And if you really want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, I'll encourage you to do so. Then we moved away from... Not only the person of the Holy Spirit, but we also talk about, um, I, uh, we, I introduced one week the introduction of symbols, touch a little on types, and why, do, why are there so many symbols of the Holy Spirit? And we did look at the symbols of the Holy Spirit in four parts. One, we did an introduction, and then we did a three-part on the actual symbols of the Holy Spirit. And it is important for us to take time to really get to know those symbols of the Holy Spirit. And um, like I said, we'll, we'll just want to encourage you. Now this week here and over the course of the next several weeks, um, if you can map it out in your head or maybe if you're taking notes. So we have gone from uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, and tonight, today we are now introducing the work of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is at work. And after looking at the, 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 the personality of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, the difference between types and symbols, yes, this week here, I think it's important for us to also look at the work of the Holy Spirit. This here is another key subject for us to focus on. And, you know, I, I'm sure I, I made a slide here, and I'm hoping that it will be online um, on the screen there for you, just to talk about the Holy Spirit, just to map it out so that you can see where we're going when we're going to talk about the subject of the Holy Spirit. you got to go back to the previous slide here as well. We're going to look at that we can see that the Holy Spirit, um, the work of the Holy Spirit can be seen in the Old Testament, in creation, in redemption, in inspiration, and in Israel. Now, I haven't touched on the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Um, right now we're in the New Testament, and we're looking... Um, we're going to be looking at the, the Holy Spirit in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian church, 
and the Holy Spirit in the world, how he is at work in the world. And tonight, message is focused on the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, which is part one. I'm starting from the very bottom, working my way up, rather than starting with the, in the life of Jesus. So I'm starting from, in, from the New Testament and in the life of the world, how the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. And then each week we're going to cover um, one or two of these subjects. Um, so that is our main focus tonight. And thank you for your, your, um, your, you know, to give me that listening ear to pay attention to some of the things that we have covered. And, and so, you know, if you have your Bible, I'd like for us to look at the passage that we have read tonight. We're going to go back to uh, John chapter 16. I want you to take your Bible and follow me. Um, verse 4, um, 4, we're going to read verse 4 and then we're going to continue from there on. So tonight we're looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And here is Jesus saying again, Jesus says, but I have said these things to you. That, that means he's reminding them of what he has said to them before. He says, but I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes and you remember that I told, told them to you, I did not say that these things, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because there was, Jesus saying, I did not say these things to you because it was not necessary for, for me to say them because I was with you. But hear what he says, but now I am going to him who sent me. And then he asked them this, he said to them, none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And this is, in, this is very important for us to pay attention to this passage. And that Jesus was telling the disciple about his departure, about his going, and all of this. And, and it seems, when I read this portion, a passage of scripture, is that, that you, you, you can feel as if the disciples um, you were not paying attention to Jesus because it seems as if Jesus had to repeat himself again and again. To them, they were not paying attention to them because they, they, they started to worry when he said to them, even though he said these things many times before that he's going to leave and they're going to crucify him and they're going to kill him. It, it seems that the disciples were more worried about themselves. His, excuse me, Jesus' encouragement serves as a reminder that there were no need for them uh, um, for any such warning. They shouldn't be worried about him leaving or going or departing from them. There was no reason for them to do so. You see, Jesus was with them physically, so they had no need to worry. And then, um, all of a sudden, he's starting to tell them about him leaving, and he said, sorrow has filled your heart, but none of them has taken the time to ask him. And guess what? Sorrow filled their heart. So why is this so? Were they truly, were the disciples truly worried that Jesus was no longer going to be with them? Or were they more worried uh, um, by the fact that they were mostly worried about what will happen to them? They were not worried about that he was going to leave them. Sorrow was filling their heart because now they are more worried about what will happen to them. What would the religious people do? This leader that we know is no longer going to be with us. They're not worried that he's leaving and going back. They were more worried about their own personal life and what will happen to them. And, and, and he gave them this word to assure them and to comfort them. 
And, and we see how the disciples were torn between, you know, whether Jesus is going to be here with them, whether he's going to leave, what would happen. And I just want to read a few passages of scripture to help you understand this uh, a little bit more. When you look at Peter in, in John chapter 13 and verse 38, if you flipped in your Bible, you're going to see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, Simon Peter in verse 36, and I think you have the passage on the screen. Simon Peter said to him, Lord... Where are you going? This was long before he is talking to them in the passage that we're reading, because this is chapter 13 and chapter 16. Jesus is reminding them. He says, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. You see that? They were not paying attention the first time he was saying, where are you? Where am I going? You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Were they thinking that he was going to a place, you know, where they could have also gone with him at the same time? But they were not, I believe they were not paying attention. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Why can I not follow you now? Uh, and here what Peter says, I laid down my life for you. Peter said, Lord, why can I follow you? I will lay down my life for you, Peter says. And Jesus answered him, Peter, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will crow till you have denied me three times. And we all know that Peter is the one that denied the Lord three times. As soon as Jesus was arrested and was taken by the religious people, the Sanhedrin council, who was rejecting Jesus? Who was denying Jesus? Every one of them were scattered and Peter Deny the Lord three times. And Jesus said, every time you deny me, the cock is going to crow. And every time Peter denied the Lord, the rooster did crow. And Jesus told Peter exactly that, you know, when, when they come for me, when they take me, all of you are going to scatter. And we know of the night that they all run, run for their lives. They were all afraid. So when, you, when we read John 16... They were more worried. Sorrow has filled their heart because of what they think is going to happen to them. John 14, here we have Philip and Thomas. And Jesus again was with the disciples. This is after Peter. Here you have the disciples again. And Jesus is telling them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you also believe in me. Jesus is comforting them, giving them the assurance that they need. The assurance that where he's going and, and what he's going to do is that even if he leave them, he's going to come again. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And that is the assurance that we have, brothers and sisters. That Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. And Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, look at what we have as believers in Christ. He says, I will come again and will take you for myself. Jesus is not sending Michael the archangel. He's not sending any one of the other prophets. He's not sending Moses and Elijah or Jeremiah. Jesus says, I am coming to take you myself. Jesus is going to come to receive the believers himself. And he was comforting them with these words. Where I'm going, and Jesus says, I will come and take you myself there where I am. He says, you will be also. So they didn't have to worry about how to get there. He already told them that he's going to come for them. And then 
And Jesus said here, and you know the way to where I am going. He says, you know the way to where I am going. Because I, he is the way, the truth and the light. But look at, look at this, look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way. We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Lord, we don't know where you are going. We don't even know the way, where, where, how to get there. And then Jesus turned to him and says, I am the way. You don't need to worry about the way. You need to know me. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And so many times as believers in Christ, we are looking for a way when Jesus is the way. We're looking for a way to find God. We're looking for a way how to please God. We're looking for a way how to appease God. We're looking how we can do something to find a way like the disciples. Lord, we don't know. We know you're going. We don't know the way. And how can we find a way? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. When you know Jesus, you know the way. When you know Jesus, you know the truth. When you know Jesus, you know what it is to have life and to have it more abundantly. Jesus said, no one. And brothers and sisters, I want you to listen to this. And some people are worried when they hear this statement. This statement. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father. No one comes to God the Father. No one comes to my Father. Except through me. There is no other way to God. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only truth. There is no other truth. There is no other way. And there is no other one that can give you life. Only Jesus. No one comes to the Father. Not, not, not every other ism out there is the way. Jesus says, I am the way. You know Jesus, you know the way. You know Jesus, you know the truth. You know Jesus, you know what it is to have life. And hear what Jesus says. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, you don't need to go look for the father. You look at me and you will know who the father is. And then Philip turned to him after of all of what Jesus said. Here what Philip said, Lord, show us the father. And it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? You're looking for the Father. How many of us are looking for God when Jesus is right in front of us and we fail to see God? We fail to see Him as the Lord and Savior. We look for God as if God is sitting in some places else. And Jesus is saying to Thomas, Look at me, Thomas. You want to know the Father? Look at me. Have I been with you so long? And some people are struggling with this today, even in their Christian life, even in their walk, even in their relationship. They're still looking. And still that they can get to God without going through Jesus Christ. When he is, has already demonstrated that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Hear what Jesus says. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Why do we divide them? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, the three in one. Yet again, we divide them so many times. Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. 
But the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe on the account of the work themselves. You see, the disciples were so caught up, not in the fact that Jesus was leaving them, but mostly that about what would happen to them. And that is so true of us today. Even though we have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, in and through our lives, some of us are still caught up in the day-to-day worries and struggles rather than leaning on the assurance and the promises of God. We still try to fight our own battles. We still try to work things out on our own strength rather than allowing God to be at work in our and through our lives. We're no different sometimes than the, the disciples. Yet again, we have the Holy Spirit that is at work. We have the promises of God and we have the assurance of God. And yet again, we struggle as believers. Excuse me. We haven't learned how to live a victorious Christian life, even though victory has been given to us. And what was Jesus' response to his disciples? Let's go back to John 7, 16. Verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, brothers and sisters, that it is to your advantage that I go for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, I will send him. And we see that on the day of Pentecost. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to impart the very first thing that Jesus said. That when the Holy Spirit comes, he will impart life into the believer. That's what the word says. Here, here, when you, when you, when you, when you wanted to truly understand the very first work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to impart this life-giving power to them. Jesus will remind them in John chapter 7, and I'm going through several passages here. If you're going to flip back and forth with me, John 7, long before that, he tell them that it is, it, it is to their advantage that he go. He had already told them that when the Holy Spirit come, what is the work he's going to do in their lives? John 7, 37, he says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. I mean, that is the gospel message. We are called to go preach the gospel. And when people hear the thirsting of their soul, Jesus invite them to come and to drink at the well. And Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see what Jesus said? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And But look at the 39 verse. Now this is he, this he said about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit. Whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will give you life. And a life that is overflowing, a life that is of living, it's like a comparison of living water, a stream that is constantly flowing. Isn't that what Jesus said to the woman at the well? That if you drink of this well, this water, 
this physical well, this physical water, that you will thirst again. But the water that I shall give you, you will never thirst. And everyone who come to faith in Jesus Christ is given this, this life through the power of the Holy Spirit. A life everlasting. A life, like Jesus said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And it is only the Holy Spirit that can do that work in the life of a believer. You see, physical water will never satisfy. You drink it today and you want to drink it again. But when you have the Holy Spirit, you don't have to constantly drink it. it it's a once and for all uh, in fill, a filling of the Holy Spirit in your life that He pours that living water and it continues to flow in the hearts and the lives of the believer. You see, but before the Holy Spirit, before the Holy Spirit imparts Life to the believer, the Holy Spirit force must bear witness to the truth concerning Christ. Before he does the work in the heart of the believer and to give them that life that Jesus talks about, the work of the Holy Spirit externally must do something. The Holy Spirit must do the work concerning the truth of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He has to make Christ known. John 15, 26, Jesus promised, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, Spirit of truth, Jesus said, proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit comes to bear witness about Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, not only to impart new life into the believer, but also to bear witness of Christ. That is the reason why we're called to go and preach the gospel. We're called to be disciples. We're called to go and to preach the good news of the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're not called to do anything else other than to go and preach the gospel. And to tell them about the love of Jesus, it is the Holy Spirit that bear witness to the heart of men and women. I said to someone yesterday that you can't win no, no one to Christ. You can't convert anyone. The Holy Spirit does the work of convicting, convincing, and converting. It is the Holy Spirit that does convicting, converting, and, uh, uh, and He changes the hearts and the lives of men and women. Not you. You're called to walk in obedience and bear witness of who Christ is. And the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit comes to bear witness about Christ. And then Jesus said in that same verse, verse 27, And you also will bear witness. Not only does the Holy Spirit come, but you, every one of us, bear witness. Because you have been with me from the beginning. That is what he imparts into the believer them. That is the reason why he said to go and wait in Jerusalem to be endued with power from Hanai, that the union of the Holy Spirit in the life of a, of a believer will give them the power to go and to be witness for Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And Peter was stood up on the day of Pentecost, right after the Holy Spirit come, not on the day of Pentecost, but when they were going up to the temple and they were in, in the midst of the religious people. Peter said this in Acts chapter 5, that the God of our fathers raised Jesus up, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 
Peter stood to the, at the, look and looked at the religious people and he says, you crucified him, but God raised him up. You killed, you hang him on a tree, God raised him up. God exalt him at the right hand as leader and savior. But look at the words, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Peter says, that is what the work of the Holy Spirit is doing right now. And we are all witness to these things, Peter said. We are all witness of what God has done. So the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You see what Peter declared? Peter was saying we are witness now because of what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives. And now the Holy Spirit is bearing witness of that as well. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to the truth concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Only to those who respond to the call of God and to those who will walk in obedience. And here is how he does all of that. How, how, and here is how he does it, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 18. Look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, in the hearts and the lives of those that the Holy Spirit come to, to do. Hear what Jesus talked about, this function of the Holy Spirit. You see, a lot of times people run away with the wrong idea when they come to the Holy Spirit. They want the Holy Spirit for themselves. They want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They want to speak in tongues. They want to lay hands on someone to, 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 to get healing and deliver. And they want all the work and the gifts of the Holy Spirit to manifest in their lives. But that's not what Jesus said the Holy Spirit come to do. Come to bear witness of Christ, of who Jesus Christ is. John 16, let's go back to our passage tonight. Hear what Jesus says. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will what? Convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I'm going to encourage you as believers, underline those three words. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because that is what the Holy Spirit comes to do. To convict the world. Convince the world and to convert Convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then look at what John is going to do in verse 9. John says, when it comes to sin, because they do not believe in Jesus. Jesus says, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come to do three things. And I hope I put it on the screen there tonight for you. Three things the Holy Spirit comes to do. Convict the world of sin, convict the world of righteousness, and convict the world of judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now tonight I'm going to spend some time to break this down so you can understand the work of the Holy Spirit. In the world. Because a lot of times we misinterpret what the Holy Spirit comes to do. Concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. First thing we're going to look at is concerning sin. Verse 9. Let us go back there. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Here's the first thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do. The Holy Spirit come to convict the world. Every man, every boy, every girl, every child, wherever they are, and wherever they are, will convict the world. Concerning sin. Because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. So the, so the idea of conviction is not to lead one to repentance. Keep in mind that this conviction is not to lead one to repentance and to salvation. 
Because the word here, convict, can be seen or used in two ways. One, it, it can be seen as being used in the, in the court of law, which is, does not apply to this passage of scripture. When you look at the word convict, convicting, convicting one who is found guilty of a crime, and this carry the idea of sentencing. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit does not bring about a condemnation. So that is, the, this first example has nothing to do with the word to convict. It's not to condemn the believer. It's not to, con sorry, not to condemn the sinner. The Holy Spirit didn't come to condemn you. The Holy Spirit come to bring you to the knowledge of the truth. So, the, so this meaning or, or use of the word convict has nothing to do with that passage. As some people would say that the Holy Spirit come to do that. But the Holy Spirit, the second use of the word to convict, is the Holy Spirit work is convicting, convinc convicting sinful men, convict every one of us who are sinful. It convicts us that we are a sinner. That every one of us here, boy, girl, child, wherever you are, you are a sinner. And you need a savior because you cannot save yourself. The first work of the Holy Spirit is to convict you that you are a sinner. And that you need a savior, that you cannot save yourself. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us have come short of the glory of God. We have sinned, we have fallen short. We will never be able to meet the mark to save ourselves unless we know and we come to the place of knowing who Jesus Christ is. And that is what the Holy Spirit come to do, is to convict the world, every one of us that we are a sinner. Ephesians, Paul said this very clearly, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead, he says. You, speaking to the church, the believers, he says, you were dead. That's the state you were in the past. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You see that? Among whom you once lived in the passion of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. And Paul said, it is the grace of God that you have been saved. It is God who sent the Holy Spirit. It is God who sent the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. And that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. Because sinful man will never know what it is to save himself. And sinful man will never know that he is a sinner unless the Holy Spirit opens up his eyes and open convicts his hearts of sin. Do you think the person out on the street who never want anything, who have no knowledge about who Jesus Christ is, know what it is to be, to, 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 to be able to, to respond to save himself? No. The Holy Spirit has to come and reveal that to him and make known to him. Sinful man will never know that he is a sinner unless the Holy Spirit opens his eyes and convicts his heart of sin. 
And this conviction, like I said, does not bring about salvation or repentance, brothers and sisters. But to expose, to expose the guilt. Expose the guilt of rejecting Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Is to expose us that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. John in chapter 15 verse 22, John says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, Jesus said. But now they have no excuse for their sin. You see that? Man, none of us have any excuse about sin. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and have hated both me and my father. You see, sinful man has no excuse. None of us have any excuse. You can't blame God because of the things you do. You have no excuse. And then the second thing Jesus said, not only is the Holy Spirit come to convict the world of sin, but of righteousness. Concerning, verse 10, concerning righteousness, Jesus said, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Here is, the, here, here is the second thing that the Holy Spirit comes to do. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is not only, is to convict the world of righteousness. Whose righteousness? My righteousness? No. No, the righteousness of Christ. That without the righteousness of Christ, none of us can stand before a holy and a righteous God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. To convict you that you are unrighteous. Isaiah says that we all have become like the one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Isaiah chapter 64, if you read it. I love the King James Version. It says, but we are all as unclean thing and all our righteousness are but like filthy rags. And we all know what filthy rags are. English, the English Standard Version says we're all our righteousness are like polluted garments. No matter how much we wash it, no matter how much we try to clean it, no matter what we do, it can never please God. No matter what we try to bring to the altar, our unrighteousness, and the Holy Spirit comes to expose us. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says in the world, is to convict the world of righteousness. But Jesus says, why? Because Jesus says, I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Because we need the righteousness of Christ before we are able to stand justified before a holy and righteous God. None of us can come unless the Holy Spirit not only convict of a sin, but also of the righteousness of Christ. Because without the righteousness of Christ, you cannot stand before a holy God. You can't bring anything to the altar. You can't bring your, 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 your fame. You can't bring your good works. You can't try to appease God with anything. No, it will never work. And Jesus said this in John 3.16. After he told him about God so loved the world, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Look at verse 19, because many people love John 3.16, but they fail to read 17, 18, and 19, and 20, and 21. Look at 19, and this is the condemnation, Jesus says, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, 
because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hated the light, neither come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth come to the light. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit, to make known the work of Christ. And that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God, not in yourself, but in God. You see, without the righteousness of Christ, none of us are justified before this holy God. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that work in our life. Because we all need the righteousness of Christ. Before we can stand before God, God look at us and says, why? What do I see? God sees the righteousness of Christ in a believer, not your righteousness. And never forget that it is the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. And let me tell you, you can bring yourself righteousness. You can bring all the things that you believe in yourself and believe that you can please God. It will never. And so many people do that based on what they eat, based on what they give, based on what they do to themselves, and their self-righteousness, this, uh, you know, coming to say, God, this is who I am. No, 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 God wants your brokenness. God wants your sinful, make known his, you, in your heart that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. You need the righteousness of Christ. It has nothing to do with you. And then finally, concerning judgment of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. Final thought. Judgment, the, the, the judgment that is spoken here in this passage speaks of the fact that the world in which we live is under Satan's control. And some people don't like to hear that. Yes, it is under Satan's control. All those who are under his control will be condemned. In fact, Jesus said they're already condemned. And the Holy Spirit comes to say and to speak and to convict. You hear what Jesus said concerning judgment? Because the ruler of this world is judged. Who is the ruler of this world? Satan and everyone who follows after him. And Jesus made it very clear that the judgment is already pronounced. John chapter 12. Hear what Jesus said. Now... Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. It's only a matter of time, brothers and sisters. And then Revelation chapter 12 says this. There was, there was, there was, and there was war in heaven. Michael and the angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought, fought against his angel. And prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon, the great dragon was cast out. And that old serpent called the devil and the Satan, which deceived the world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels was, were cast out with him. You see what it is? A judgment has already been pronounced. In the last day, God is going to just completely close the door. But here is the assurance that we have. Here is the assurance that we have, brothers and sisters. Satan is already judged. Satan is already condemned. Everyone who follows after him, who are blinded towards the truth and will continue to follow down the path, are already condemned. There's no hope unless the Holy Spirit brings them to the knowledge of the truth. And here is the assurance that Paul gives us. Colossians chapter 2. 
And you being dead in your trespass, dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, he's talking about the believer. Had he quickened, God quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, God forgive you of your sin, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it away, nailing it to the cross. Having spoiled principalities and power, he made a show of them openly, triumphant, triumphing over them. That is the work, that is the resurrection work that Christ has done. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holiday or in the new moon or in the Sabbath. Live your life in obedience to Christ. Walk in obedience to him. And I pray and trust that God will continue to open up your heart. Next week we're going to continue with the work of the Holy Spirit. As, we, as I said earlier on, we're going to look at many other areas in which the Holy Spirit is at work. This week here we look at the Holy Spirit at work in the world and that's what he comes to do to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and i hope that this this has been an encouragement to your heart shed light on the subject of who the holy spirit is and the work of the holy spirit and i pray that you will continue to be encouraged and challenged as well so let us pray father we thank you for your word tonight thank you god that you once again have Open up your words to our eyes and our understanding. Make known your ways to us, O God, of the work of the Holy Spirit, Lord, the work to convict this world of sin, convict this world of righteousness, that it, we all need the righteousness of Christ, and also convict the world of judgment, that the prince of this world has been already judged and already been condemned. And we have nothing to fear, nothing to doubt, nothing to be worried about, because our life is secured in Christ. And Paul says, nevertheless I live, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I live, I don't live to please man or please the flesh. But I live after the Son of God. I live so that God can work in and through my life. And Lord, that is our prayer tonight. God, I pray for those that are joining us online. Pray for those that are joining us week after week here at God, that they will continue to walk in obedience to your word. And God, walk in obedience to know you, whom to know is life eternal. I pray, God, for those that are struggling in their walk and in their relationship, God, that you will touch their lives and, and help them, Lord, to come to such a knowledge of the truth and to surrender their lives to you. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.